Hello and welcome to Business Without Bullshit, the podcast brought to you by Ori Clark. Straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. I'm Juliet Ori. Alongside me today is my co-host, Philippa Sturt, who's on board and helping the cause of bringing the fascinating business stories of Ori Clark's clients to a wider audience with this podcast. And if you like what we do here, please do rate and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Biz Without BS. That's at B-I-Z without B-S. Now, with that being said, hello, Philippa. How are you? Who's our guest today? And what are we going to be talking about? Hi, Juliet. Today's guest is my lovely contact, Maxime Kramer. Maxime is a CEO, technical coach, and consultant who helps women entrepreneurs create world-class software. She's worked as a principal design technologist, technical consultant, and mobile software engineer, and was integral to the team that developed SwiftKey, a keyboard app that saw over a million downloads on its first day and has since been acquired by Microsoft. Today, Maxime heads up Menenia, which helps women entrepreneurs start, launch, and grow their businesses by making technology as simple as everyday English. We're in excellent company. Maxime, welcome to the podcast. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. Maxine, we are delighted to have you. I am utterly fascinated that I have finally got to chat to a woman that is in tech. So I want to know how you have ended up in tech and what, how has this come to fruition? I know it's a bit like a magical unicorn, isn't it? Well, the simple answer is I've been in tech for a very long time. It just happened to be something I was interested in from a very young age. We got a computer when I was five. It was a Compaq, Windows 95. And, uh, you know, my dad was doing something with it in the evening. He was like, I think he collects stamps and he was like having a list or something of the ones he was missing. I don't know. But I was just like, what is it? How does it work? What does it do? And within like a week or so, that was it. Like I was in charge of the computer. I was installing the software, updating it, you know, eventually taking it apart, putting in upgrades. And then when I was 11, I started making websites. That's just when we got like proper internet that wasn't dial up. And... I was interested in a lot of things growing up. Uh, Also, I did a lot of design work. At some point, I wanted to be a 3D like artist and or animator. You know, Um, really interested in people, in medicine, like all of these different things. So when it came to studying, the two main choices ended up being medicine versus computer science. And because I've lived in different countries and I, I wanted to, you know, be able to travel and move, I thought, well, medicine is really specific to, you know particular areas and like you can't I think it's the same with legal things right you can't just suddenly go to another country and and be a lawyer there without either resetting the bar or yeah it's very annoying yeah Yeah. (laughs) so I went with computer science not knowing the kind of tech revolution that was about to happen so the iPhone came out around the same time that I went to university and that really changed it for me because if I'm honest I did the degree didn't think I was going to be a programmer But now suddenly you can make software that people could carry with them that really did something for them in their everyday lives that they could engage with. And that was so exciting that I started doing mobile development in 2009 and just kind of spiraled on into the industry, I would say. And how did you find it getting that first job in the industry? Was it easy? Did it feel like it was harder because you're a woman? Not so much at the time. I think I'm also just a bit stubborn. Like I kind of refuse to see 
certain things sometimes and I'm like nope I'm here I'm gonna apply and you know kind of don't really look too far into it what I do remember is I made my own app in uh, 2012 which was called Beauty Geek at the time and you could search for if you're familiar with something like Skyscanner or Kayak where you can search flights here you could scan a barcode of a beauty product and look at different websites and see where it was most cheap or you know wherever and so I launched that app, it was really fun, went well. And then I happened to go to WWDC, which is Apple's yearly conference. If you're familiar with it, it happens every year in June and they announce what's new and cool. And so there I got to meet tons of other developers. And that's when I really kind of noticed, how do I phrase this? <laughs> you were definitely treated differently. We were queuing for this session and these guys were all showing the apps they were working on and I pulled out mine and I was like, here, have a look, try it out. And they're like, oh, oh, uh, we don't use beauty products. Like, I don't know what to search for. Like, do you use shower gel or toothpaste or literally anything in your bathroom? (laughs) (laughs) And they just kind of stopped talking to me after that. And I was, because I worked on a quote unquote girly app, suddenly I was singled out. And that was definitely an, an eye opener, I would say. That doesn't surprise me entirely, but I do think it's improved in that there are now more women in tech in all different ways. And I think it was a new industry. And I think men always find it challenging half the female chat that is had um, versus their chat. So Maxine, what I want to understand is your name, what your heritage was, where did you study? How did this begin? So I grew up mostly in uh, the Netherlands, in Amsterdam, but my background is I'm half Dutch, half Ethiopian. And so, as I mentioned, I was making websites quite early on. And the biggest thing at the time was to get your own domain name. That was so exciting because usually you were just hosting on like other bits and bobs of spaces on the internet, if that makes sense. And so that's all I wanted. So eventually for Christmas, I got a domain name and then I had to name it. And uh, my family calls me Menen which is an Ethiopian name. Um, She was an empress in Ethiopia. And so that's my nickname. And that was obviously already taken. But because my family gave me that domain name, I wanted to incorporate it in there. And yeah, so Menenia was born. So I've had that domain name since I was 13. That's pretty impressive. I feel that's quite cool. And what's the plan with Menenia? How does it work? How are you sort of empowering people through that? Yeah, so at Menenio, we look specifically at women entrepreneurs starting a business in tech. And with that, I mean software-based businesses because, you know, anyone starting a business nowadays will have a website and an email list and, you know, bits and bobs of tech, which, you know, is super important. But when it comes to creating technology, like proprietary technology, for which you indeed hire your software engineers or talent, that's hard to find. You know, how do you get started with that? And There's just not enough information out there that makes it easily accessible um, or even explains all the different words that you keep hearing about as soon as you enter that industry, right? Because the funniest thing was, right, I think it was 2013 and uh, Google had done a hackathon. They just opened Google Campus. So if you're familiar with London, um, unfortunately, it's just shut down, actually. But they created this space for entrepreneurs to come and hang out and, you know, I guess encourage, you know, tech, tech tech-based businesses. And so they did a hackathon, which is effectively like a two-day event where you come, you work on a brief, you form small teams, sometimes you stay the night or you kind of like genuinely work on it quite a lot and then you present it the next day. And this was one in fashion, so I was super excited. Now, no one seemed to have thought that if you're going to advertise something cool happening at Google Campus that also has to do with fashion, sponsored by All Saints, ASOS, you know, all the big Mm. names in fashion, that a ton of great women will show up who are interested in fashion. 
So we arrive there and normally it kicks off with these presentations from the sponsors and so on. So these developers that work at ASOS, you know, showed up and uh, start explaining their API and, you know, all of this stuff and how can you search your platform to create your little product or whatever, you know, hack you're going to work on. And at the end of the entire session, this woman like raises her hand and is like, sorry, what's an API? <laughs> and the guy just kind of turned red and realized that he hadn't even explained any such basic concepts because they hadn't thought that there would be non-techie people attending. Long story short, it was actually one of the best hackathons ever because there was that mixture of people, which is exactly what you need. And these women had such experience in either the industry or, you know, buying fashion themselves. And I think one of the briefs was how to reduce return rates because that was one of the biggest expenses uh, or how to ensure better fit and all this kind of stuff. So having that cross collaboration ended up with such good results uh, and such good like hacks and presentations and so on that I really think people should focus on that more. And this, by the way, is why more women should be in tech. And following on from that, why did you start Menenia? What happened was I was a female software engineer in London and there were people, you know, starting these businesses and finding that they were incredibly frustrated working with developers, especially when they were outsourcing to other countries and um, just it was a huge communication, you know, barrier. And so via via, they would find out about this girl that works at startups that does some software engineering that might be able to help. So I was having a lot of coffees with female founders and kind of explaining, breaking things down and being like, well, this is actually how it works. This is what that means. This is what you could do. And they were like, oh, no one's ever explained it to me like this before. So I really wanted to create a kind of consultancy, coaching and education business around this to empower more women to successfully start their businesses in tech. I think many start and try and not many get, you know, much further, which I think is so crucial because, do you know the book um, Invisible Women by Caroline Perez? Yeah, it's on my bookcase. Yep. <laughs> so if you're not familiar with it, um, I know Pip is, but um, she talks a lot about how things have been designed for men, with men as the default. So default height, default weight. So anything from the way seatbelts work to uh, office temperatures, et cetera, all take men into account. And effectively now we get a do-over with the digital world and technology. And so if not enough women are starting up businesses or thinking of the tech and the infrastructure that needs to be in place to support us in the next you know, several decades as we become more you know, online and tech savvy and all that, I think it's going to be a real issue. And I yeah. think even so, it's going to skew more to a, a default that isn't necessarily the default. But is the default for the men? Yeah. Well, the fundamental, I, I did an amazing course at uni called Sex and Gender in the Law. Taught, um, it's one, was the, one of the only courses, and it was it taught by an amazing lady who's written various books. And um, she educated me about the fact that the law is all written purely for man. And the, the fundamental, so your easiest example to ever give in future is, is the defences to murder. So defences to murder, the original ones are basically provocation and provocation has to be immediate response. And then you had years and years of a change in the law and recognising battered women because basically women do not react like men. Men will, if attacked, immediately attack. Women don't. We go away, we simmer, and we plan the biggest attack you have ever seen, <laughs> right? Okay. And so, therefore, 
they had to start evolving. And all the law, the law on rape was only man against woman. And then transgender came into play. So they had to change all of that. Um, plus, you know, male on male, female on female, all of that. So it is totally evolved and it's evolving. And I think tech, you know, is a pretty new industry, really, when you look at it. Uh, so in terms of your business, are you only willing to help female founders? What if a lovely gentleman came along with a fantastic business? Has he got a hope? <laughs> I get this question a lot, actually. And, and yeah, absolutely, you get a hope. Like, you know, the way I explain stuff and, and work with people and coach them is applicable to anyone. But ultimately, my, the bottom line that I'm trying to impact or affect is, is the number of female founders. So yeah, anyone's welcome. Okay, so any sector, female ideally, yeah. what do you get most excited about? Something really changing? Do you see something different or is it all stuff being done before? It's not actually stuff that's been done before. That's what I'm saying. I think women do come up with genuinely different ideas that need to have a shot at success, you know. And what makes me most excited, if I'm honest, just the transformation when um, a female CEO suddenly realizes, yes, this is my business. Yes, I can do this. And I get everything now. I understand all the stuff that people talk about, more or less, I know how it impacts and affects my business. And this is what I'm going to decide to do, right? Because ultimately, that's what it's about. It's about having that knowledge and that fundamental understanding of technology so you can decide in your own business what your next steps are. So let's talk about the thing that really exercises me for a moment, which is, you know, you're describing all these amazing women who've come up with concepts because they're looking at things completely differently from the way men do. But you and I both know, because we had this conversation earlier anyway, that it's only something like three or 4% of investment funds in the UK that go into businesses founded and run by women. Why? Not just the UK, also the US. Well, you had a funny story about this, which uh, I don't know if you want to share that. Yes, I, I was at an event that was for women entrepreneurs and I was hosting it. And we had a male VC talking about how to get investment. And at the end of the talk, there was a question bit. And so I gave him the stats about 96% or whatever it is of investments going into male run businesses and asked him why he thought that was. And he sort of paused, bear in mind this is a room full of women, there wasn't another man in the room, paused, leant back in his chair and said, do you know, I haven't really thought about it, but if I'm honest, I guess it's because the pitches from men are better than those from women. That seems to be the kind of consensus is that women just aren't as good at this as men are. And seeing that is absolute bullshit to the title of the podcast. So how can you have it with less bullshit? Well, you know, I wonder, right? So I have a few ideas and hypotheses of why I think it's the case, which by the way, I think is the interpretation, not necessarily the fault or the cause. Mm. But I think, for example, it's usually older women who end up thinking of these ideas. I think 35 plus, you know, suddenly they're like, hey, you know what? I have thoughts. I have opinions about this. I really think this thing needs to exist. And what they come up with is based on their life experience. It's not something that a 20-year-old Silicon Valley dude <laughs> can come up with, right? So they enter the arena and they're in that sense very different from the other people there. So is it then that there is a bias to the, you know, 20-year-old Silicon Valley dude from the garage that's starting something up? I don't know, but that could be uh, inadvertently a cause, you know, not a justified one at all, by the way, if I can say that and make that really clear. <laughs> 
The other question then is a pipeline issue where there's actually also just less women applying for funding or less women starting businesses compared to men. That might be the case. Generally speaking, we know that's not true in the sense that lots of women start businesses, but they're more lifestyle or small business based, uh, not necessarily in tech. But that's also one of the things I'm trying to change because when I talk to people, they stay in that idea phase for very, very long, much longer than necessary. And if they have the right help or access to training or knowledge, I think they can get over that hurdle and start asking for investment much earlier on. And now a quick word from our sponsor. At Ori Clark, we understand that many of our clients want to be better informed about the issues they face, but don't have the time to wade through all of the legalese and accounting jargon to get there. We know that people love our easy-to-read quick guides on the most common problems facing our clients. And if you're here, then you probably like podcasts. So we thought, why not combine the two and make it even easier for people to access the knowledge of our team of multidisciplinary experts? Recently, Dominic Frisby sat down with Juliet Ori to talk about immigration. So Don, one of the most important things that companies need to bear in mind if they're hiring here in the UK is that they have an obligation to check that an individual has a right to work in the UK. You must not take people's word for it. You must, in fact, check their documentation. So that means checking their passport. If they're not a British national, then checking what visa that they have. So that normally their BRP card, which is often where the visa is. Okay, so this is another responsibility that an employer now has. Yes. And how long has employers had that responsibility? Oh, for a long, long time. But what has happened in recent years is we've brought in much more of the enforcement. So if you are found, and we have had a number of clients go through this process, if you are found with an illegal worker and you haven't undertaken appropriate right-to-work checks, it's a £20,000 fixed penalty fine per illegal found. You can find our audio quick guides in the resource library at auriclark.com or search for Ori Clark Quick Guides wherever you get your podcasts. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. What has been hardest for you about sort of taking that leap? We were talking about earlier about setting up Menenia and supporting women. What do you find hardest about running your own business? So for a while I did both, right? So I only recently left my full-time employment uh, to do this full-time. But as I just said, you heard full-time twice, it was like having two jobs. So for the last three years, I worked quite ridiculous hours, but I really cared about it. And I wanted to take the time to set things up properly. Because I think one of the hardest things about business is that well, people who don't do business don't necessarily realize when they're starting is that when you start, there's not a lot of people that know you or know what you do. Yeah. So it takes time. And if you were to leave your work and then say, hi guys, I'm ready for business. Where are you? Right. You're not going to get clients showing up straight away, usually. And also it's involving what you want to do and what you bring to the table and what makes you different. Because, you know, if I think, if I look at my values or things I care about or my messaging or any of that stuff I could have never come up with that in the beginning no matter how long I would have taken it it's through doing that you refine it so taking that time is I think really served me well if people are looking for talent where should they go how should they encourage people I'm hoping you're on a massive campaign to get everybody signed up but where should they go if they are interested 
I think boot camps and so on are actually a really good place. And I think the difficulty nowadays is that a lot of people are looking for senior engineers and there's only so many senior engineers, especially in an industry that's, what, 10, 15 years old. And I think that's the part that irks me a little bit. And I think if companies took the time to invest just an extra year, which I know sounds like a lot because everyone wanted everything done yesterday, but take someone in after a boot camp and actually allow them to grow and kind of settle into that role. A, you get so much more from that employee because they are, you know, much more invested in your business, in your company, and also in that journey themselves. And oftentimes what I've seen is they end up returning, like your return on investment is so large because people truly care and they, not that I would advocate working too much, right? But they really go the lengths in terms of um, doing their work well, let me put it that way. But many companies I notice aren't quite willing uh, or aren't quite patient enough to to take people at that level. And that's a real shame because they just think, well, if we just throw enough money at it, we'll get someone who's really senior. And that's also with all the VC investments, like the salaries are massively inflated. So it's very hard as well for people who are not Google and not Facebook to try and get access to really good talent. Uh, so again, I would say as long as you have a senior person in the business with some experience, whether that's a CTO or an architect or head of engineering or senior engineer, then you can hire more people out of boot camps or, or different groups and organizations and so on. There are many, many great women in tech type of organizations and oftentimes get a much stronger team out of it. I think it's wise words. I, I think it applies to a lot of industries now and finding the talent and stuff. It's important. And looking looking back over your own career, has that been an overall positive experience? Has working for other people driven you to start working for yourself? I would say yes, it's been a positive experience, um, mainly because I've always enjoyed the projects I've worked on and the colleagues I've worked with. That being said, I love doing a lot of different things and I thankfully can do a lot of different things. And so I felt like at work, I was only using like 30% of my capacity, even at the end when I finally managed to get a role that combined software engineering and design, uh, which I was kind of always on the hunt for. So running my own business means I get to do so many fun things, which I really, really love. Uh, So I'd say that's the biggest thing. And also, in a way, there is suddenly uncapped potential for earnings or impact or all that kind of stuff. And with the mission that I have, if you will, with my business, it's much easier to do in that situation or in that context than it is as I work for someone else. Brilliant. And I suppose that all those years of working for other people has given you the skills and the knowledge and the experience, as well as the impetus to go and start doing it for yourself. 100%. Yeah. Now we do have a question, which is what is your worst job you've ever had? So after SwiftKey, I I had a few options available to me. And there was this one small startup, 10 people or so, and they were doing interesting things. And the person who kind of reached out to me was very um, energetic, let's put it that way. And I was like, okay, cool, why not? I haven't done the tiny startup size yet. And uh, I'll I'll just go for this. Day two, I kid you not, I was like, I need to leave. This, this just feels so wrong. And at the time I couldn't put, um, I couldn't explain it. I couldn't put words to it, but I was like, something in this just feels absolutely dreadful. My partner at the time is looking at me like, Maxime, it's been two days. Like, come on, give it a bit of a chance. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you something is wrong. <laughs> Let's just say I lasted two months. 
So there's another thing in the tech industry, right, where people believe because Steve Jobs, right, Apple, great company, mm-hmm. has done amazing stuff. And uh, Steve Jobs was a visionary. He's also known to be a bit of a dickhead, let's be real, mm-hmm. not particularly nice to work with. And there is this fundamental misunderstanding in tech that um, being a dick gives you superpowers, right? It is as if that way you channel Steve Jobs, right? So this person that I was working with basically kind of just went to his head and he purposely started putting meetings late so people who had kids couldn't attend. And when I then was like, why don't we move the meeting to four? Because we're all not doing anything at four. Uh, He would yell at me in front of everyone. He would stroll in at 1 p.m., and just, it was a mess. And when I talked to the CEO about this, his response was, well, we pay you enough to deal with difficult people. And I was like, you know what? No, you really don't, right? And thankfully, right? And I appreciate not everyone is in this position, but in tech, we, there's a lot of jobs available. And so after two months, I was like, you know what? No, this is not worth my sanity or any of this. Um, I actually felt really like I started having panic attacks and stuff. It wasn't fun. So I left. So that was that. And, uh, you know, found another beautiful job uh, within three weeks and was very, very happy. So you could, you know, you could describe it as a blip. You could see it as a failure. You could maybe see it as why did you stay for two months at this point? (laughs) But what would you say your biggest realization is about the failures through your career, if there have been any? Really, it's just that life goes on, right? When you look back at things, and for example, this is one of them, right? I wasn't necessarily worried about could I find another job or something. But if I think back about how I felt and how it uh, was all encompassing at the time, right? And you feel sick to your stomach and you carry that with you. Now I've just forgotten about it. So really the realization of, if you want to call it failures, but any kind of hard moment is that really it does pass. And now when things happen, you know, yes, I get nervous or yes, I feel a bit crap about it, but I'm also like, you know what, you'll forget this feeling. So that's really good advice, actually, Um, this two shall pass advice, because I think that's what a lot of people don't think when something's happening to them. It is all encompassing, you're right. And people can say, oh, it's only a job, but it Mm -hmm. can just take over your whole mindset. Exactly. And the reason I, because this too shall pass is indeed the the saying, but I remind myself by looking back and saying, listen, remember this thing that you were so stressed about then and now you don't care, right? It's like really reminding yourself of that, I think. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? It's actually a recent one that I'm trying to live by, which is along the similar lines of let it be easy. Because again, I think it's very easy to get stuck into things and take stuff too seriously and go down paths that are quite frankly unnecessary. So especially now being on my own as an entrepreneur and like there's endless supply of work to get done. It's like, let it be easy. Like, how can I make this easy? Which officially you might even call like the Pareto principle or the 80-20 rule, right? Mm. Because, you know, you get most of your work done with like a small amount of certain tasks or whatever but it's indeed more like do I really need to do this thing that I think I really have to do does this video that I'm recording have to have you know all of this production on it or will people just understand if I record it this way and that's been really helpful so let it be easy yeah I would add to that let it be fun yes actually so I think sometimes people think that if work is worthwhile it has to be hard it has to be difficult and it has to be stressful And I don't think that's true. It really isn't. I don't know why it is the case that people really correlate um, 
long hours and grueling work with high reward or payoff. It doesn't have to be the case, you know, and it's really what you make of it. And exactly, like you, you work an awful lot. If it's not fun, how, you know. Why the hell why? are you doing yeah. it? Yeah. In terms of in business and in, in life, who do you most respect? Who do you look up to? Are there any leaders that you aspire to be? Well, I guess the cheesy answer is um, my mum, right? My mum had her own business. and um, What did she do? She had a nail studio in Amsterdam. Uh, basically, you know, she stopped working when she had me and my brother. And then at some point, you know, uh, we needed more income in the family. And um, she was like, you know, I could work for someone else or I could do this and, and do much better and have the flexibility as well to, for example, pick us up from school and that kind of stuff. So she started her own uh, nail studio and it was one of the most successful ones in Amsterdam for 15 years until she stopped and, and moved uh, to the UK as well. So I think the level of determination, if you will, um, I get from her, thankfully. And then there's another person, actually, uh, Ben Francis. He's the CEO of Gymshark actually CEO as of recently, he stepped down briefly from that role and then came back. Jim Shark is a athletic wear, like, yep. you know, brand, but it's grown so much. And if you think that he started that when he would just started uni and he was sewing these t-shirts himself and now they make, I think over 500 million a year in annual revenue. It's insane. And also how he's approached it as in terms of, you know, what is best for the business. So him stepping back was because he didn't know about supply chain logistics and optimizations and operations. So he invested in finding the right people, letting them do that, continuing on brand and all of those things that he was really good at. And now it looks like he's back as CEO because he's really kind of learned a lot of things mm. and is ready to do that again. So I find that really interesting, really inspiring. And what are you most excited about for the future? Is there any project that you're really looking forward to? Yes, so I'm doing this project on on VC funding and trying to get to the bottom of that because you, you know, you asked a brilliant question and quite frankly, I think it's shameful that we don't have a good response for it or a good answer. I'm also I'm really excited. I've launched a program tech literacy, literally the the technology that you need to run your business without the coding because that's, that's the a other great thing. idea. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Because a lot of people try and Google it then, right? They're like, okay, how do I get this technology? And then there are programming courses. And obviously as a um, director or CEO of your business, you don't want to do that. And ultimately, I'm just really looking forward to being able to hopefully move that needle and see see these businesses that women are coming to me with, you know, get through all the next steps, hurdles, barriers into being fully fledged, you know, recognized startups, recognized and growing startups. Fantastic. Top three reads, Maxime. So if we're thinking about business without bullshit, I would say uh, probably most people listening to this will have already read it, but The Personal MBA by Josh Kaufman is a great book. I also recently read Profit First, which I liked. It's a quite simple principle when you think about it, uh, which is take the profit out of the business first or bake that in and try and make do with just a certain percentage allocated to expenses. And the author of Profit First... Uh, Mike Michalowski, I believe. And then there's one that stayed with me, which is called Untamed by Glennon Doyle, which I think is a good read, especially if you're a woman who is starting to realize like, hey, actually, I've got stuff to say, I have things I want to do, and I don't really want to be held back by what's kind of how I grew up or what's been decided for me. Uh, so yeah. Oh, and can I add one more book? So this was one that recently came out. It's called Mother of Invention. 
um, how good ideas get ignored in an economy built for men by uh, Katrine Massal, who's a friend of mine. And it's really good. So I'm currently reading that one. Okay. So that brings us to our favorite part of the show. Well, at least my favorite part of the show, the business versus bullshit quick fire round. D, cue the music. This is where we reel off a list of key terms and all you have to do is tell us whether you think it's business or bullshit. (laughs) Are you ready? I'm sweating. Well, good. I'm glad you are. I'm on the edge of my seat. (laughs) So... Number one, diversity quotas. This is difficult. (laughs) You went straight there. Um, You know, my first instinct is bullshit because the way that people approach it and talk about it, diversity is very important. Well, I'm just looking at you. The fact that actually any business needs to employ you because you will tick nearly every box. You you will aid their (laughs) statistics, no? But that's the thing, right? Everything's become a statistic, and for that reason, I would say bullshit. Good. If I dare say. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to tell you we're in total agreement on this subject. <laughs> Not that I don't that. I think diversity is incredibly important, but I don't think quotas achieve it. Yeah. Two, stand-up meetings. Bullshit. Slogans in the workplace. You know, people have jazzy signs, people have little do Do you feel that's important, or you think that's nonsense? Bullshit. Pub lunches. Uh, business. Formal work clothes. Mm, bullshit. Non-executive directors. Not sure. Business, I suppose. You might have them. Depends who they are, really, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Depends more on the person than the role. <laughs> very true. Very true. People are important. Board minutes. Mm, business. Terms and conditions. Business. Exercising. Exercising stock options or... <laughs> Moving around. <laughs> Knowing D, this must be exercising. In <laughs> fact, he is a real exercise guru. He's trying to encourage me. Everyone else has lost weight through this entire series. I am gaining. He's just <laughs> encouraging me to exercise. So is exercise business important or is it bullshit? Not it's important. business. It's business. NDAs. Business. Contracts. Business. GDPR notices. Oh Unfortunately, business. Acronyms. Uh, bullshit. Coffee. Mm, for me, bullshit. I don't drink coffee, but as I understand drink? from many people, it's vitally important. Uh, tea, water. Me too. PG tips all the way. Oh, you're a PG tips. Office dogs. I'm allergic. So it must be bullshit. So, great stuff. So, Maxine, if our listeners want to find out more about you online, where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, Probably the website, menenia.com, which is a bit difficult to spell. M-E-N-N-E-N-I-A.com. Yeah, that'd be it. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you to Maxine for joining us. A big thank you to you, our dear listeners. We'll be back with another episode in a fortnight. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at BizWithoutBS, where you'll find more helpful business content. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for us using the hashtag, hashtag BizWithoutBS and hashtag OriClark, O-U-R-Y, Clark without any. Until next time, it's cheerio.
Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark. We've been helping individuals and businesses cut through red tape in order to prosper since 1935. To find out how our team of multidisciplinary experts can help you, whatever your needs, email us at contact at auriclark.com. That is contact at O-U-R-Y-C-L-A-R-K.com or via our website. Ori Clark, you provide the questions, we'll give you an answer.